This is episode 297 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are How to Prepare When You're the Only One and Survival for Women During SHTF. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by the Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. It's time to finally advance your preparedness goals. Get the ebook and join the forums. Go to microbiz.biz for more information. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get started. Our first article comes to us from survivalblog.com, and the title of the article is How to Prepare When You're the Only One. So I'm going to go ahead and read this one through, and I'll comment at the end. Uh, Well, maybe I'll comment in the the middle. Maybe this is the one I was going to comment in the middle. Uh, We'll see how it goes. But anyway, it's coming to us from survivalblog.com, How to Prepare When You're the Only One. I think this article will resonate with many of the survival blog readership because I suspect that many of us are in a similar situation of being the only one preparing. While some of you may be lucky to have complete buy-in and participation with prepping from your family or survival group, many others like myself may find that the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Before I speak about my experience with this issue and the steps I have taken to attempt to mitigate this, Let me provide some background on myself as well as what the composition of the group looks like. The group is divided into two sections, family and fire team. Each one of these groups is proving to have their own frustrations and issues with them. Just as a disclaimer, I am not affiliated with any sites or individuals mentioned in this article. I am a male and in my mid-twenties living in a mid-Atlantic occupied state and I have a master's of science degree. I have been preparing since 2012 when I first read Mr. Rawls's book, How to, How to Survive the End of the World as We Know It. I unfortunately still live at home while I bank money to simultaneously pay off some of my loans, save money for moving out, hopefully within the year, and purchase some preparedness supplies. I have set myself an absolute baseline of readiness that I am trying to achieve and will soon hit that baseline. This baseline is the bare minimum that I want to have in hand should a disaster occur. I am also working on practical skills as well as and not just acquiring stuff. Weapons manipulations and individual tactics, medical skills, fitness, and communications. My beautiful girlfriend of nearly seven years is 100% bought in to the concept of preparedness. She has become my main companion in the pursuit of these skills, which is such a blessing. The only downside is that the relationship is long distance at the moment, but that will hopefully change within the year. And if you're wondering, yes, it stinks, but it is worth it. There are 21 total members in my family that I am preparing for. 21. That's insane. You may say, you aren't wrong. These are the individuals that I cannot in good conscience turn away from my door and in, in the event of a disaster. This consists of my siblings, their wives, and their wives' immediate families. 
I could theoretically not count the families of the wise, but that would just be deluding myself into denying reality once the SHTF. The family group is who I am primarily prepping for. As such, they are factored into my calculations on food, water, medical supplies, equipment, etc. For the family group, I have a wide range of buy-in. About a quarter see the coming storm and are supporters of my endeavor. Another quarter are peripherally aware but have some life events occurring that make it difficult to have the issue front and center in their lives. The other half are the proverbial ostrich with their heads in the sand and are not invested at all in the concept. Through my church, I am blessed to have made friends with several families of fellow Christian conservatives. These families all have a retired LEO as the head of the household and are relatively compact in their size. This group is approximately 21 individuals as well. For this group, I am not concerned with storing food, water, or medical supplies. As I see it, that is their family's responsibility to do. The fire team group is a lovely addition to my preparedness plans, but not an absolute necessity. For the fire team group, I would estimate that half of them are very supportive of the concept of prepping. The other half are indifferent and or slightly supportive. The problem is something I mentioned earlier that we all have probably experienced. It is the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, while I have tacit support for the idea of preparedness, getting anyone to do anything is a completely different story. Let me explain in detail the issues for each group. I've got 99 problems and the family group is 98 of them. For the family group, my main issue is that, aside from my girlfriend and me, None of the 19 other individuals in the group have experience with firearms. This makes it very difficult from a security and force projection standpoint. Not only does the group not own any guns, they don't really know how to use one. Forget working on weapons manipulations, assembly, disassembly, or small unit tactics. I can't even get them to the range to fire the guns for the first or second time ever. When it comes to storing supplies and purchasing equipment, I only have one sibling, a brother of mine, who has offered to provide money for those supplies. They all like to joke about finding me when the SHTF, but none of them have offered to contribute. While some may suggest that I just leave them, let me reiterate this is family and I cannot in good conscience turn immediate family away during a crisis. Most don't have useful practical skills for survival. Their backgrounds are not in any hard skills but mostly academic. They are mainly teachers. This may work great if we bug out to a town establishing a school where people are willing to trade supplies for knowledge, but it is not useful in many other scenarios. The physical fitness of most of the family is questionable, at best. While one sibling does run marathons and lift, and some others aren't overweight, the vast majority are not in the best physical condition. On my girlfriend's side, her family lives a few states away and have no preparedness tendencies. On a scale of 1 to 10, they would be a negative 3. Figuring out how to transport her family to my location is a thorny logistics issue. No one has a ham radio or communication experience or skills. There is also no ham radio or similar communications equipment within this group. Ooh, that sounds like I am messed over, eh? It certainly feels that way sometimes. It has caused me to despair and feel a sense of hopelessness about the situation. 
It doesn't get much better when we look at the fire team as well. The biggest issue that exists with the fire team group is, once again, getting them to do anything. They all have at least some firearm experience, either through their LEO background or range trips we have taken together. However, they lack either the time or the fitness, that's a common theme, to work on more in-depth topics related to security, such as fire team drills or small unit tactics. While this may not be a problem if the fighting takes place from a fixed position, it certainly becomes an issue when trying to establish a more a much more robust and proactive security force, a la John Mosby Reluctant Partisan, which I cannot recommend enough. I am not sure if they have actually taken any steps in the areas of medical preparations or food and water acquisition and storage. This is the biggest Achilles heel in my main area of concern with them. I am already taking care of the food for 21 people. I refuse to add another 21 to that without some kind of monetary help. I simply cannot afford to do so. I have wonderful discussions with the fire team about the concepts of prepping and the need to do so, but getting them to walk the walk is so incredibly hard. They have a fantastic set of skills between them all, as the group includes an electrician, plumbing, carpenter, home health aide, etc. But they're just simply not doing the things they need to do to prepare. I don't want to lose them from the group, but we'll absolutely have to if the SHTF and they are expecting the food I am stockpiling to feed them as well. None of the team has any radio or comms experience either, and none of them seem very motivated to study for and complete their test for their ham license. So I've laid out my problems here in part one. In part two, I will begin to share how I decided to overcome my problems and specific preparedness steps taken. All right, guys, that's the article. I'm going to tell you that uh, first of all, there is a part two and a part three, and they are both linked at the very bottom of part one. So you can go and check those out as well, especially uh, you know if you're curious on how he overcame some of the problems that he's he's facing. Um, you know, survival blog has been around for a long time. They have a big community over there. There's 62 comments uh, over there with a lot of you know good stuff and information that people are going to be. Uh, you know, sharing there. So definitely, you know, like always, I'm gonna I'm gonna link to the the article in the show notes, and you can go over there, like always, and you know, go to uh, the other articles if you're interested in doing that. Right. All right. So just let me give a couple of things here as as I was reading, kind of thinking and processing this through. This guy, this young guy, and I think you know, very rare. I mean, I've talked about that here in the past. Uh, very rare for someone in their 20s to be preparing, and especially preparing as hard as he's preparing. Now, he's coming from, you know, he read the book, How to how to Survive the End of the World as We Know It, you know, and it really marked him. I mean, it really, you know, uh, did something to him to, to help him to realize how fragile our world is, and he sees the importance of it. Maybe also his Masters of Science, maybe, you know, I don't know what part of science he's... Uh, uh, he has, you know, he, he's uh, decided to to study, but maybe that has a little bit of aspect into it as well if he's looked at uh, some of that. Now, when it comes to preparedness, he is really preparing. I mean, he's, you know, he is ready. He's thought a lot, uh, a lot about it. He's thought it through. He realizes, and you know, we've, we've mentioned this before on the podcast as well, that, you know, when the poop hits the fan, 
a lot of people say, you know, hey, it's me and my family, but you know, uh, the, 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 the grandkids aren't going to say, you know, Hey, uh, we can't bring grandma and grandpa along, or we can't leave until grandma and grandpa come along. Or what about uncle Joe and aunt Sally? And, and, you know, so, you know, th- that's the way it, it would more than likely, likely is going to go down. And if the poop really hit the fan, regardless of, you know, what you were thinking, your family wouldn't allow you possibly to, to leave a lot of the other family members behind. So this guy, this young guy, has realized that, and he's like, you know what? I am prepping for my family, uh, and then their spouse's family, right? Uh, the only problem is, is that what if one of the spouse's families decide to bring some of their family, you know? And so uh, you just keep building and building and building, uh, and then the whole idea that there's not a lot of consist- consensus between everyone. Um, you know, he is prepping for 21 people. That doesn't mean that that's only the amount of people that are going to come. Like I said, you know, the the in-laws families could be bringing family as well. And uh, the other side of that could be that if the poop really hit the fan, not everybody could make it to where they have suggested that they're going to make it. And as well, there's a lot of people that aren't going to take it seriously. So if they, if this young man has said, hey, you need to bug out to this location if the poop ever hits the fan, though they probably like, you know, hey, yeah, 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 you know, we'll be there. But then they never really remember, though they wouldn't remember, they don't really have it marked down or anything like that. I mean, if this guy's communication was strong, then maybe he could send out information. But, you know, that's if everything was, was right and everything happened the way that uh, was just perfect so that everybody could bug out, you know, like they needed to and they can communicate through cell phones and, and, and email and text and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, he's, he's very serious about his preparedness and realizes that it's something that needs to be done. And he's kind of negative on the family that's not able to do it although he is preparing for them, right? The the thing is, is that not everybody is going to take it as seriously as you do. And that's the thing. The fact that there are people talking about it, I think that's a great sign. I also think that that makes it a lot easier when there is a poop hit the fan. So if I was this young man and I'm monitoring the news or there's things going on, there's a natural disaster, that is one of those times where you bring it up to the group and you said, wow, you know, hey, have you ever thought about if that happened here? You know, we are prepared. Have you ever thought about how you would get over to the bug out location? Or have you ever thought about, you know, uh, what you would do temporarily until we can all get together? And that would help solidify in people's minds how important it is, right? So that's one one thing that you can do. The fire team, you know, understanding that some of them prep and, you know, all that good stuff, but some of them don't. You got half and half. Uh, You know, you can't really force other people to prep. Uh, You can't be there. Uh, I, you know, I I would wonder how much he's tied into these people because he met them at church and, uh, you know, he met them at church and he, he understands that they're Christian conservatives and he's, he has an attachment to them. And he really he's using them as a fire team, as a security team. And so I wonder at what point he's like, you know what? I, I need you. Your your skills are more important than not having any preparedness. Right. But again, the same same thing that you do with your family, you could do with the fire team. If there's ever a situation right that's going on, you can always. Hey, did you see 
that you know what's going on in Venezuela or have you seen that natural disaster that happened over there you know that man you know it's a good thing that we're all getting prepared right and so uh you know see where they are there and maybe that would kind of get them thinking about it and getting getting them moved that way more and more um because he did bring up church and because he you know he he he's there and uh, this is definitely one of the ways that I feel as well. You can prepare as much as possible. Do everything that you can. Do everything that you're supposed to. And then at some point, you have to trust God. And you have to say, you know what, Lord, I, I've done everything that I can. I, I've prepared the food. I've prepared, you know, this and that and supplies and all that. And now I just, you know, I need your help at this point. And so you think about Noah, you know, you know, Noah did everything he could. Uh, he got, you know, he built the boat. He got the animals on board. Uh, you know, the, the Lord brought the animals to him, right? But he got, he got the animals on board. He stocked food and water and all that good stuff. And they get in the boat. And then after that, it's in the Lord's hands, right? Uh, depending on where the, the ark uh, would float and uh, even if it would float and where it would go and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, you can only do so much and then you got to depend on God. You got to depend that, you know, he's got you, that he that he's going to take care of you. And so definitely there, you know, one last thing here that he's living at home and he's probably has a lot of money. Now, he said he's paying off. Uh, he's paying off loans and uh, he's, you know, saving up to be able to move out. But, you know, he also has uh, disposable income where he can put towards preparedness and uh, that's hard for a lot of members, a lot of people to do. And, you know, that's one reason why I think you need to have multiple streams of income and why you need to have a micro biz, that that would be a great opportunity. You know, if if I was a retired LEO and I mean, that's w- one thing that I would be doing is taking people, you know, uh, training in, in firearms and, and maybe you're not doing the, the great big tactical stuff. But you could be taking them to the firing range. You can be giving them the basics. You can be showing them how to clean their their firearms. Those types of things, you know. There are things that you can do there. And so, I don't know. That's that's my two cents there. And uh, hopefully that will help someone. But let me tell you, there's a lot of people in this same predicament right here. I know that I've run... uh, I've run polls on prepper website actually the there's one it's actually been up for a very very long time i need to do another poll but uh, I, I think it was the questions like uh you know are you prepping by yourself do you is it just you and your family it, you know is it a survival group or whatever and you know most people are either it's just their immediate family or they're it's they're all by themselves and so it might be a father prepping it might be a mother prepping uh it might be a son who lives at home prepping just like we we see right here it's a good article, and uh, I got to give this guy kudos for you know thinking about his family and thinking it through and uh, putting forth the money to do all of this and realizing that you know there's going to be a, a lot of challenges there in working through them. Um, so hopefully you'll go over to Survival Blog and click on uh, part two and part three and go see how he uh, takes care of uh, some of these situations and he gets through them. All right, that's over at survivalblog.com. All right, guys, um, because it is the Friday podcast, I go into the Prepper website archives and pull up an article uh, that is older and uh, that uh, but definitely has a lot of relevance to where we are right now. And uh, so as I went into the archive 
and I was looking for for this Friday podcast. Um, you know, it was I was going through, and I was just kind of going through all the tag cloud, and uh, just going you know little little by little, and just kind of looking at all the different um, you know options there. And then I came on one uh, on on Selco, and so I'm like, you know what? Let me click in here and see what uh, what he has available. And uh, there's an article that I linked to, probably one of the first ones from uh, from Selco's website, shtfschool.com. Uh, and this was from April 9th, 2012. So, I mean, here we are, six years. This is a six-year-old article. But uh, very, you know, Selko was in the Bosnian War. And he was uh, in Sarajevo when it was surrounded. And, uh, you know, they li- he lived in a real SHTF scenario. And uh, on this one, this article, uh, he actually, because he, uh, he has a membership uh, there on his website, and there is a, a female uh, by the name of JL who at, wanted to ask questions about how females fared in in the situation. And so, of course, Selko always writes his articles from his perspective, but he needed to be able to go find someone that uh, you know that went through his situation, but who could answer some of the questions that his uh, his female this female who's in his membership uh, class or his subscription uh, had. And so he went and he interviewed this woman uh, to uh, to get these answers. And so I thought it was very curious, you know, very interesting out there. There might be some women who uh, who are very interested in, in what this woman has to say, uh, you know, being surrounded and having to deal with a husband and kids in an SHTF scenario, in a real SHTF scenario. So uh, well, let's go ahead and jump into this one again. It comes to us from shtfschool.com. The title of the article is Survival of Women During SHTF. And uh, again, guys, this is, um, you know, Selko, English is not his first language. And so he's actually translating, uh, you know, from from this woman's from this woman's interview. And so there's going to be some times I'm going to read it exactly like it's written here just to, uh, you know, kind of keep that feel. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there, FYI. So let's go ahead and start reading. J.L. is a female member of my survival course, and she asked a lot of women-specific questions about my SHTF experience. I decided to interview women because of that. I can talk about my experience, but women live often in different world of feelings and emotions. I spoke with first woman named Una, now 52, so in her 30s back then, who took care of her family during that time. I asked JL to send me some questions she had on her mind, and she did. If you have more women-specific questions, write in comments. I recorded interview with, or inter- I recorded interview and translated to English. Sorry, my English not proper English. So this is uh, Una's uh, beginning of her interview. My first and worst concern was what is going to happen with my kids. I had two toddlers and I did not have any clue what is going to happen or even what is going to look like when hell breaks lo- broke loose. We did not want to believe it could happen. We heard the sound of big guns miles away and stories of violence, rape, and murder, but everything looked so peaceful. At the beginning, actually right before everything started during my meetings with my friends and colleagues at work, we discussed the deteriorating situation and pretty soon I find myself faced with important decision. 
Is it worth to send my kids to some more secure region or to some relatives to neighboring country or keep them with me and wait what happens? I never had question, am I going to leave this place? I found it normal to stay in my city with husband in my house. Looking back now, I know it was a big mistake. If I want to describe my worst feeling through all of that, it was not hunger, danger, fire, cold, or anything like that. It was definitely the feeling of uncertain future, complete absence of feeling that I control coming events. I was helpless and just like a leaf in a storm. Anything could happen. Anyway, I choose to keep my kids with me, still do not know if it was right decision. Survival was tough even at places. I planned to send them before everything started. I found out after everything was over. Anyway, they survived, but with some mental trauma like everybody else who survived. Some of my friends who send their kids through some organization to other countries had kids getting lost and disappear, and in some cases they found places somewhere else, but the kids lost connection with parents. If parents survived, they became strangers with each other. So the question is, how did things start to change in your city? Some very new emotions came up during that time. I was watching how city was dying slowly, together with normal behavior of people. In the beginning, people tried to stay together. I mean, in the terms of neighbors helping each other. They had normal way of communication in the beginning. But as more bloody details, murder, rape, and other crime became common, trust faded and was replaced by fear. Slowly, people started to move away from each other and there was just us or them. Groups were not open anymore, not more welcoming. I thought of myself as a strong woman before, but that was before being without food and losing normal control of my life. I was teacher before everything and of course, I lost my job just like almost everyone. Nothing worked like it was supposed to work. I did not even have idea to continue to teach my kids at home or try something similar to survive, took all my energy. The next question is, did you have any ideas of how you would survive if you were alone or not? I was with my husband and family, and I think I would not have survived alone. Not because I'm weak-spirited woman lacking will to survive, but simply because what I saw and experienced was so different and out of this world that I would have not been able to handle it alone. Being in family or group makes you part of something. If others depend on you and you have others who go through same unreal situation, it makes you fight harder. I understand those people who gave up and locked themselves in to die. The next question is, did you feel being a woman gave you any advantages or disadvantages? For me, I think it was better because I was a woman. I mean, I was in a way protected from some of the hardest things like finding food, resources, or fighting. Hardest jobs were done by men. It was matter of luck for me. Women are just more useful for certain kinds of jobs like taking care of kids or wounded or sick people. Women also have more feelings, so some things like using violence does not come easy. Next question. Did you realize how bad it would get? No, definitely not. Many times I thought this cannot be worse and then it got worse. Fighting for survival can reduce people to animal that we all are. Sometimes it was hard to still see that they are or we are human. 
so much that we think makes us human is removed and then there is something very basic and brutal left. It comes as surprise that people can act without emotion like compassion that makes us human. Since that time, I never thought about humans like before. Next question. How did the close people around you treat you? I was protected, guarded in a way because I was a woman. It was not a matter of some kind of gentleman thing. I believe it was mostly about fact that I do my part of duties, like taking care of kids, food, trying to keep things clean, etc. When I had to shoot, nobody would tell me, you are a woman, you can't do that. Everyone in group had to function, and people treat you good if you do. Next question. What was your situation, meaning how many people did you have as support, if any? I spent that period in a group with six men, three women, and four kids. Question. What are you doing today that prepares you for a similar event, or how did that change the way you live? I have food in my house for several months weapons and I am ready to leave everything at the first sign that something similar gonna happen everything next question did anything happen that you handled differently than you assumed you would I was thinking a lot about that and whatever I am gonna say it could be wrong you get into situations that you cannot imagine so there was no way to predict what to do I saw hard man break and weak man be strong Many people who showed off strength to the outside world before things got really hard were those who broke first. I think they build up a mass to hide their inner weakness. I broke too, but people still relied on me, so I had to do my part. I kept myself together, but the whole situation left big scars inside of me. There were quiet and normal people like you, Selko, who managed to come out of all this stronger and who got used to situation faster and without much suffering. Maybe you were born for that. I still do not understand people like you. Next question. Were you concerned about hygiene and feminine body issues, or would you say the lack of food, water, etc. caused this not to be a concern? How could lack of water, etc. not be a, not to be a concern? It was the opposite. But over the time, we learned that hygiene is not most important thing on the world, as dirty as that sounds. Other things occupied my mind, like with what to feed my kids or how to make any kind of meal from very few things. Question, what did you notice that women did differently to handle the situation, if anything? I know for myself that special way of thinking helped me. I just closed myself in my own world, I mean with my thinking and worrying, and it helped me. When my husband was worrying about when everything would come to an end, and what are the chances for that, or trying to find some useful information about that, my biggest concern was how to make dinner or to warm kids. It was not about men in the house thing, that he thinks about the big issues and I do not. I am an educated person, but worrying about small everyday things I think helped me through all of that, without going crazy maybe. My concern was, for example, when kid asked me, can you make pancake, how to answer him and make something that only looked like pancake and tell him something like, those are special pancakes. Those were the little missions that kept me from completely losing myself like others did. Question, did anything at all go the way you would have expected? Nothing went as expected. Actually, I did not know what to expect. 
You cannot expect too much when you find yourself in a completely new situation, deadly situation. I live day by day without too much hope or expectation. At some point, you stop caring. I survived, my family survived, and that's it. I do not know what happens next time everything goes to hell again, but I'm ready now to accept whatever comes. I easily could not be here anymore like many people I know. This stays with me for life, so I appreciate every day. Next question. Did you have a source of spiritual strength? I changed all phases from completely not believing to completely believing and hoping that God will do something. I lost and gained faith many, many times in that period. But yes, I think my kids and care for my kids gave me something will and strength to survive and live somehow normally. I think point of taking care of someone is really important in all of this. And so uh, Selko ends the, uh, the article with, I currently work on translating second, much longer interview I did with a woman who survived in a group of only women. Things were harder for them. I will post interview in member section in the coming days. So uh, <laughs> I guess we, we don't have access to that one there unless you're a member of his uh, survival school group. There are 31 questions here and uh, you know you can go and check it out and see uh, what, uh, you know, what information was left there. But uh, interesting, you know, I thought, you know, as I was reading, when she said, uh, when Uma said, you know, I thought about sending my kids off to somebody else, to another country or, or to relatives in another town, but uh, not realizing how bad it, it was where there were some kids who were lost and never, uh, you know, were found again. And so you think about, you know, what happened in World War II when uh, kids were sent off, you know, from, from England to other countries and, and different things like that, uh, you know, to, so that they would be safe. And then um, later on they were reunited. Uh, but man, that would be very scary, right? Because the, here's the thing. She didn't, she didn't realize how bad it was going to get. I mean, you're, you're at some point, you know, normalcy bias kicks in. And you're hearing the this, like she said, the 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 guns in the other in the other neighborhood, but everything is so peaceful where you're at. Although you hear gunfire, and then all of a sudden it just deteriorates really fast. And then by that time, she couldn't send her kids, even if she wanted to send her kids, it was done. And so she had them, and so it probably, um, you know, they survived. It probably was better that they were with her because she's she's going to take care of her kids better than anybody else would have taken care of and especially if there was even if they were with family members if you know there, there was the war broke out there as well uh, you know it's still you know who, who knows what might have happened and so you know not only that but it gave her something to live for something a purpose a mission like she was talking about and so you know that's interesting as well to have that um, the other thing that I thought was very interesting when they asked you know how are things different now she has. She said, "I have several months of food in my house, and uh, you know I have weapons, but I don't hesitate to leave in a moment's notice if I feel like things are going, you know, going downhill." And so, you know, she's like, I, I, "We're never going to go through that 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 again. We're going to leave. We're not going to wait like we waited last time. We're going to get out as soon as we can and get to safety." And so, I thought that was very interesting as well, you know, because sometimes. You start kicking in like, no, this can't, again, that normalcy bias. 
you know this isn't happening no the, you know that's that's uh it's a movie you know this is like the movies or whatever and then all of a sudden you find yourself right in the middle of you know the shtf and what do you do you know you've got to you got to make the best with of what you have at that point and what you have at that point that's it you're you know that's all the 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 supplies that's all the gear that's all the food that's all the water that you have unless you are scavenging unless you are trading and bartering and all that kind of stuff like we like we know that selco did uh in in the people that were there did so often in order to survive so great article there from a woman's perspective talking about the shtf and so hopefully that uh you know uh, maybe does a little something for you there as far as, you know, hey, this is something uh, being prepared is, is not that big of a deal or, or not, that, uh, not that bad of a deal, right? It's something very, very positive to have. So again, guys, that's over at shtfschool.com. Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Well, everyone, that's it for episode 297. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.